Welcome to the Speakeasy with Kate Wand, a safe space to discuss liberal ideas. I sat down with Bruce Party, Canadian law professor, to discuss power and privilege, Marxism, racism, residential schools, Canadian law, and how it applies to the illiberal mandates we are currently facing, and much, much more. What kids are being taught is yeah. that very question. Do parents have a right to have a role, or even a determining role, in what their kids are taught? Or is it the responsibility and indeed the right of school boards, of, of schools, of teachers to educate the children properly, notwithstanding what the parents think? In other words, is it the job of the teacher to, to rescue the child from the oppression of the parents? And that's what, that's what some teachers and some school boards and some teachers unions say. Parents, you have no business here. Go away. So it's kind of flipped from uh, we don't need no education and hey, teachers, leave those kids alone to we don't need no indoctrination from the parents who want to protect their kids. Yes, well, you'd like to think it's gone that far in the minds of parents. Some parents, I'm sure, are just shocked at what it is they've discovered that their parent, their kids are being taught. Yeah. And whether or not they've gone so far as to think that the school consists of indoctrination is another question. Maybe some have, hopefully they have, because it does tend to be that way. Uh, but, but fortunately some parents there are, are saying, no, I'm, you're not, you're not teaching my kid this. You're not teaching my, my kids uh, how to transition to a new gender. You're not going to teach them you know, about pornography. You're not going to teach them about these things that, that apparently came up in the, in the Virginia situation. Um, the critical race theory point has been contentious because some have said, I think quite rightly, that critical race theory is being taught in the schools to young kids. Now, it's not being taught by that name. It's not, right. it's, it's not, this is not 20 minutes on critical race theory. They don't say that. And so the re- response it's infiltrating. is... It's infiltrating. If you the look rest at the, of the education. If you look at the topics, yeah. the, the, the premises of critical race theory are reflected in the curriculum. But, but because it's not being taught as a subject by name, the response has been, well, we don't, we don't teach critical race theory in the schools. Are they in the schools. That? Oh, of course. Sure. Wow. Yeah. They're claiming not to teach it, and therefore you can't stop something that's not being done. Wow. Uh, but nevertheless, kids are still being taught, for example, about, about white supremacy. Well, white supremacy is part and parcel of critical race theory. So if you're talking about one, you're teaching the other. Right. Yeah. Now, this is, is an idea that's become pervasive also in Canadian culture. And this has happened um, rather quickly overnight, but over the long term, like everything else. But we can see now that this has just become kind of the norm to think like, you know, we're, we have this institutionalized racism problem. Hmm. And we never, you know, in the last few decades, Canadians were kind of not, you know, having that debate the same way the Americans were, because we were just like, well, we're good here in Canada. We're the polite neighbors. We do everything nicely. Right. And then suddenly now in the last few years, it's become, uh, well, we have this every child matters campaign now, and we've just done all of these horrible injustices to these indigenous children, which is true. But at the same time, it's being used as propaganda. So you're taking old news and um, basically distorting it into a propaganda campaign to make it seem that Canada now today has this institutionalized racism Mm. that needs to be untangled and that we need to redo all of our institutions. Mm -hmm. Correct? Yes, exactly. And this is part and parcel of, of what critical theory is all about, right? It's a, the premise of critical theory is the Western institutions uh, have always been based upon power relationships, um, the oppressed and the oppressor, and those institutions must be dismantled or or transformed into something different, right. so as to so as to invert the power pyramid and put those at the bottom at the top and those at the top at the bottom to rectify the historical abuses that have have occurred because of the nature of Western civilization, and one of the claims that accompanies this is that institutions and society itself is systemically racist. And it's one of those things that, that, you know, you're not allowed to examine or critique or certainly not to, to deny. Right. Um, but of course it's not true. 
Yeah. Uh, because partly you can tell that because when you start to scratch at it and ask the people who are making that statement to explain exactly what you mean, usually there's great difficulty in doing that. Uh, if you talk from a legal perspective, um, historically, there, there certainly were moments where there was racism or, or disadvantage between groups. And you can tell that by looking at those moments where different laws applied to different groups of people. Yeah. Some would have the vote and some not have the vote. Uh, some would be able to own property and others not be able to own property. You can see that between men and women. There was a time when men owned, could own property and women could not. Okay. Well, that's not a system in which the law treats everybody the same, which yeah. is the test for racism and sexism systemically. That's systemic sexism. It's systemic racism. Yeah. And the solution to that kind of systemic problem is to fix the laws so that they do, in fact, treat everybody the same. Everybody can own property. Everybody can can uh, marry who they wish. Everybody can vote. In other words, the law shouldn't care who you are. It should treat you the same no matter what. Going back to the idea that justice is blind. So if you have that, then you do not have a legal system that's systemically anything other than equal treatment before the law. But I don't, I don't know that people are either saying that it's just in a legal sense. Like, I don't even think people really know what they're talking about when they say that we have the systemic problem. But I just think this that is it's, the thing, right? it's been but something to attach the emotion of to. Course, and, and of course, of course. And just feel like, you know, well, it, it comes from a place of, I think, um, uh, basically weaponized empathy. So kind <laughs> of saying, well, we can take people's uh, sense of empathy and compassion and we can manipulate them into believing something which will help us to dismantle the culture as we do not see that this culture is, is the kind that we want to have. Um, and so there's an agenda behind all of that and they play with people's empathy. And then you get these kids who go on these marches and they, they, you know, have these slogans and, 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 and we're indoctrinating now a new culture to kind of run with that. And, and there's a big problem there because nobody really understands why, but they go with it because it appeals to their emotions. No doubt. No doubt. And the reason that it appeals to the emotions is because it doesn't appeal to your rationality because there's really nothing there. So if you put somebody on the spot and say, right, you're, you're claiming that there's systemic racism in this situation. So can you tell us where it is? You know, well, what do you mean? Yes. When you say that, what are you, what are you talking about? Can you make this concrete? In, in what respect is that person being treated differently than that person because of the race that they are? And that, that people don't, people who are pushing this story don't like that kind of question. And in fact, it goes so far as this. So this goes back to the idea of critical theory. Critical theory is an anti-Western, if you like, an anti-enlightenment set of premises. And you said that this came uh, post-World War II, post basically, World when II Marxism began. didn't work. Well, yeah, so this, a group of scholars basically wanted, I, the, the theory goes, the theory goes, uh, a group of scholars were investigating as to why Marxism hadn't ca caught on in the West. Started in Germany and then migrated to the States, and there's a whole lot of... of variations in, in, in disciplines within disciplines and critical theory and you know, all the critical theorists wouldn't agree about what it is or what it means. But the long short of it is, it's an anti-Western proposition or agenda that posits that Western society consists of power relationships, abusive power relationships between groups. And they rejected Marx's emphasis on economics, economic class warfare, and instead focused on identity groups. But you still have this, 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 this power imbalance idea and groups fighting between each other and the, the essence of Western society being oppressive. And the object is to dismantle that society, transform the institutions into something radically different where you invert the pyramid um, between the 
powerful and the, and the powerless, the privileged and the unprivileged. And so uh, along with those ideas is a, a distinctly anti-Western bent or anti-enlightenment bent, which goes so far, and people have a hard time getting their head around this, but it goes so far as to reject the, the ideals upon which the enlightenment was, was founded, which, which includes, you know, rationality, evidence, inquiry. Um, and so if you approach these premises and say, well, show me the evidence, or how does this make sense? You're now being Western. You're a white supremacist. You are now a white supremacist for asking <laughs> no what, those questions. No matter what identity group you belong to. This sure. is really funny. Like you've actually been seeing people who belong to other creeds or colors of skin or whatever you want to call it. Sure. And they're being called white supremacists just for right. saying that this is wrong or, or disagreeing with it. So quite, that's really so. interesting as well. Quite so. I mean, so the, the number of, <laughs> of sort of a um, uh, uh, black conservatives or black class liberals in the states who are being called white supremacists right. is getting to be, I mean, it's almost funny. Well, this is funny. And actually, did you see Leslyn Lewis? Mm. Uh, she, right. uh, the conservative yes. MP, right? right? She had said something about this as well, made um, a statement against the vaccine mandates. Right. Uh, and then being mandated everywhere and kind of the, the show me your papers society that we're creating. But her yes. words were something along the lines of, um, being put to the back of the bus and then and then right. interestingly uh, somebody else came along and said like you can't use that kind of statement like that's <laughs> kind of like right. and 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 they were alluding to the fact that she was part of that whole system but it's like well this doesn't work with with your so ideas so she's inconsistent so, so she here here she is she's a black woman she's she's using the 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 phrase and the image of being at the back of the bus, which of course is one place where this all started in the states, right? Yes. With with Rosa, uh, the, Parks. The, the, the Rosa Parks and the civil rights movement. Yeah. And she's invoking that image to make a point about how we are now separating out again yeah. and and discriminating against one group, and they're telling her that she's not allowed to use that imagery. Well, they, what 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 an extraordinary right. and hilarious thing. And it's interesting because she is the exact opposite of their theory because she is a strong uh, woman of color with a high degree of education with a, a, a huge career resume who has gotten quite far in life and she doesn't fit the victim role, the intersectional kind of... So she has these right. intersectional points yes. in a sense, right. but then she doesn't have others. So if she would have been, let's say, an old white male, then that would have been... Oh my gosh, you, you totally, you totally, you know, lit on fire, right. but, but, yeah. you know, because she, they couldn't, they didn't really know what to do with her. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Well, it underlines your point though, right? That, that, that this pretends to be about appearance and about race and about gender, but it, what it is really about is a set of premises and to make sure that you adhere to them. And if you do, then you're okay. I mean, white, white people who swear to the right set of beliefs, you know, can, can, can protect themselves by doing that. And yes. the people who are not white, who believe in these things, well, they're, they are, they are the right people. But if, regardless of your appearance, if you don't get on board, yes, then, then you're the bad guy. It doesn't really right. matter what sexual race or gender and so on you are. And, and why though? Why, uh, why do you think that, is this just like an academic idea that there's like an idea for a better society that's more, you know, is this like a utopian design of society that it should be done this way and therefore we, this is why we need to view everything through this lens? Like what is the end goal? Like once you've mm. dismantled all of these oppressive systems, what are you building back better? What is, what is the point of all of it really? Well, so critical theory is really a Marxist theory. Or, or if you like a neo-Marxist theory, as I said, there's, they reject some of Marxist premises, but substitute others. And a lot of critical theorists wouldn't agree that they're Marxist or neo-Marxist, but really it's the same idea in the sense that it's, it's an anti-Western thing. So you're asking the question, well, what, what takes it place if they were successful, 
what do they imagine would take its place? And I don't really know. But one of the one of the possibilities is, frankly, a collectivist kind of society, which and you know things never reproduce themselves exactly. But we've had the Soviet Union, right? A, a society in which, at least nominally, although not practically, but nominally, everybody is equal. Now, we saw how that didn't work. Uh, but... Everybody is equally starving. Everybody is, <laughs> everybody is equally poor. poor. Yes, poor. But that's not even really the way it worked, right? It's just like, it's like the old line from, uh, from Orwell's Animal Farm. You know, all animals are equal but some animals are more equal than others. That's, mm-hmm. that's the reality of, of how that system worked. And it's the reality of how most systems based upon equality or, or if you like equity work. Some right. people are more equal right. than others. And we're seeing that now already. Like if we actually look at the elites, the politicians sure. who are breaking all of the COVID rules, sure. you know, and, and doing whatever they want, flying across the world for COP26 with like 100 private jets, meanwhile, uh, preaching about carbon emissions reductions and not taking flights unnecessarily. So doing all of the things, you know, this is where all animals are, are equal except for us. This is the irony. This is the irony in it because it's exactly the opposite of what is being portrayed. It really is a stratified society in which some people are the privileged. They really are the privileged. Right. I mean, the, the, they're creating that triangle. But right, this, but exactly, they're, they're creating, creating the triangle the that they are complaining dynamic. about. Yes, correct. And it's exactly. sort of you know, there's a there's a phrase called uh, called the called the, the the how's it go the um, the woke law of projection, as in. The things that the woke are most likely to complain about are the things that they are they are susceptible to themselves. Right. Right. Whether it's racism or sexism or elitism or power imbalances or power abuses, yeah, or inconsistencies. You look for it in their own behavior, well, and you will probably find it. It's it's you know. So I had this thing happen to me personally where, um, when Black Lives Matter when that kind of movement began, mm-hmm. um, I had uh, an acquaintance, you know, a former friend who ended up writing to me and, and, and she was full on, she went social justice warrior on this issue and just said, Oh my gosh, like we need to do something about this. I, uh, and, and she said, you know what, Kate, you should, you should cover a song by a black musician and post that, you know, cause I was doing some, some music videos. And, uh, and I was like, well, that's really, really, racist sounding to me like that's i um yes no like right. i will basically choose music that i like and and you know again judge by the merit of but that the makes quality you a racist. of the music but that right? makes you a racist right this is, this is, this is the, and that's what happens this is the inversion of the words yes right the words mean different yes now it's the opposite it's the opposite yes. the things have been turned upside down so so let's just let's just talk about the meaning of racism you know Racism means that you are evaluating people on the basis of their race and distinguishing between them and treating them differently on that basis. Yes. I mean, that's the nature of the word. It's where the word comes from. Right. But it's not what it means anymore. What it means now is that you are failing to take race into account and treat people in accordance with that identification. And, and, and if you do if you fail to treat non-white people better, then you are the racist. And so it is no defense to an accusation, the awoke accusation that you are racist to say, no, no, I'm treating everybody the same. That is not what they mean. They mean you are treating everybody the same and therefore you are a racist. Yes, because you need to actually be acting as savior Correct. to these victim That's groups. Right. And so we are actually better than these victim groups. That's the thing behind this altruism. Well, this, this is this is the woke projection thing. Yeah. The whole idea of their definition of racism indicates a racist attitude yes. towards what they have defined as as oppressed groups. They they have take they've internalized the idea that those people in those groups are not able to deal with the world themselves. 
And the woke have to come and rescue them. Yes. I mean, how demeaning is that? It is so demeaning. Like you have these, so there was a, a musician around this time, uh, a woman of color, whatever. I wouldn't even say this normally, but you know, since we're discussing it, we kind of have to now if we want to talk about these things. Because mm -hmm. I never really used to talk about anybody's skin color, right? But, right. Um, but basically, right after the whole George Floyd uh, propaganda event, yes. she was given all of these jobs and accolades and everything like that. And she was a fantastic musician to begin with. So it was kind of like, why is this all happening suddenly now? And you're being propped up because, and, and they would use different hashtags too, like, oh, black musicians or this or that, like they like by labeling her this way and then saying we're we're going to give you all of these uh perks and privileges hmm. based on the color of your skin hmm. right and not on the fact that you're a great musician how would you actually feel as a person right knowing like you did not actually achieve these things because of your talent and because of your right. hard work but right. because people saw you as a poor victim well right so i think the response to that complaint which i which I agree with, but I think the response would be, but this has been happening in the other direction forever. So people, lots of people throughout the years have received privileges because of, you know, what group they're from or who their parents were or, 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 or so on. And that's true. That's true. The whole idea of an, having an elite is that there's a there's a layer of society that does get all the privileges and does have all the power and does have all the wealth, and but 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 note how the idea of an elite and the idea of preferential treatment is not the thing that's being dismantled. It's just choosing slightly different people to re, to to receive the preferential treatment. Yes. The better response for my money would be to say. No, no, people, you missed the point. The point is that the law must treat us all equally. Right. Without regard to who you are, without regard to who your parents are, without regard to where you went to school, without regard to what your ethnicity is. And until you can get your head around that, and that's, that's the thing that the woke progressives don't want to do. Right. Because I think at bottom, they believe in, in an elite. They believe in a privileged class. They just don't want to admit that they want to have one. Maybe they don't even know it. A lot of them won't realize it, probably. Well, it's interesting because already you can see this kind of thing, like let's say on employment application forms, sure. where you'll see um, identify yourself as male, female, or other, and then identify yourself if you're an Aboriginal, uh, if you're Black, White, Caucasian. Like these things are starting to come up more in that like, Please identify. I think in Canadian, what you'll see is if you're part of a minority group. So they're they're kind of saying like because they have to hire a well, lot of it's companies. It's getting even worse than that. I mean, we're now getting beyond the stage of of being asked to indicate what you are. There are now job postings at various places that are only available to certain groups. Well, this is where I got in the argument uh, with my former friend over because yeah. she was saying I only am going to start working with black women now I, i'm seeking out black women and basically it it caused a a firestorm in this facebook group and then half of the women were like well that was pretty racist like right. and then the other half were like no 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 like we need to be uh, propping up black women and doing all of this stuff and then you know and it's like did right so <sighs> but so but perhaps we should just answer this question because a lot of people have the, respond to that by saying, but that's not allowed. I thought we had rules and laws, like a human rights code that, that prohibited discrimination on the basis of race. Why isn't this illegal? And that's the answer is question. that that's not, that's, not, that's not the meaning of the law. I mean, it looks like it is. There's a section of the human rights code in various provinces, including Ontario, where it says that, that you know, hiring somebody on the basis of race is illegal discrimination. And yet you have these job postings that are targeted at particular groups or, or, or maybe more appropriately are, are defined so that if you're from another group, like if you're white, you're not allowed to apply. You're just not allowed. It doesn't matter your qualifications. Right. doesn't matter if you're suitable. doesn't matter your education. You're not allowed to apply. And the question is, well, but how can that be, how can that be legal? And the answer is, well, these 
human rights codes, like the Ontario one, have a have a loophole that says you can put you can put in the in the Ontario code. It's called a special program. You can put together a special program to alleviate the effects of historical discrimination, wow. which is essentially affirmative action. When did this happen? When was this? Oh, uh... it's been in the act for a while, but it it's it's come to the fore only recently because the 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 culture has taken on this mandate to to do all the things that you've been talking about and and there's even a section in the statute that says even if something has not been certified as a special program if there's a complaint to the human rights tribunal then at the hearing the tribunal can decide that it deserves to be considered a special program so if What's the, the implication of that? The implication is, for example, if there's an institution that uh, develops job openings um, that f- from from which you know white people are are barred or or men are barred. Let's say a, let's say a white man brings a human rights complaint saying I was not eligible for this position. I'm happy to apply according to my credentials and be assessed on a colorblind and sexblind basis, but I should be able to apply for it like everybody else. Uh, if the response is, well, no, we are, we are trying to hire non-white, non-male people. And uh, this is part of a, uh, we didn't certify it as a program, but that's our explanation for it. The tribunal can say, yeah, we think it's, we think it's reasonable because, you know, because White people and men historically have been advantaged. They're at the top of the pyramid. So we're going to certify this as a special program and say that it's okay for you not to be allowed to apply for the job. So this brings me on a little bit of a tangent here. Um, But what we've spoken about in previous conversations is how now um, many people under the last kind of year and a half of these intense restrictions have thought, well, you know, we have certain basic rights that should be protecting us, certain laws that should be protecting us. And why isn't it all working? There's just this kind of looming question. And we've spoken about how the law and it's not something that is uh, carved in stone and that is unchangeable, but that the law is actually a byproduct of the culture. Yes. So it's downstream from the culture Correct. or yes. downstream from politics. Right. So law downstream from politics and politics downstream from culture, from culture. Yes. Right. right. So like if you have a culture that has gone very, very woke, then you're likely to have courts that have gone in that direction as well. And then, so one thing that we could hop to maybe mm-hmm. is how the, uh, the COVID courts have basically I can call them COVID courts. <laughs> that was a little slip of the tongue, but it's actually become COVID courts where COVID is now part of uh, this this thing that uh, you you said it was kind of like the sky is blue on COVID. So we've agreed that right. everything having to do with the science behind COVID has now become something that the courts have said, well, yeah, we don't, we don't really need any evidence. You know, we just, we agree with this whole thing. So that's right. causing some... So the so, so the so the record of of legal challenges to COVID rules over the past eighteen months or so has been quite unsuccessful, and many courts have upheld the rules and embraced the the COVID narrative. And one court in particular in Saskatchewan, it was a dispute between between um, uh, divorced parents who had a. Who uh, I think I think a fourteen-year-old girl, and they were in a dispute about whether or not the, the the girl should be vaccinated. And the the court, instead of assessing evidence from the two parties about the danger of the virus and the efficacy and safety of the vaccine, uh, said that it was taking judicial notice of those things took judicial notice of the dangers of the virus to adults and children, including the 14-year-old, and took judicial notice of the fact that the vaccine was safe and effective for both adults and children, including the 14-year-old. And judicial notice is basically saying that this is, we've accepted this premise. Yes. So judicial notice is an exception to the general rule, which is that any fact to be found by a court 
must be based upon evidence. So if I say that it rained on Tuesday, if I'm a party to this action and I'm making the allegation for some reason that's relevant to the, to the case that it rained on Tuesday, then I need to bring evidence to the court, a witness to put on the stand and the witness will say, I was there on Tuesday, it rained. So now you have evidence. And the court is then able to say, well, I heard the, the evidence, the, the witness say this, the witness seemed to be credible. I'm going to accept that evidence. I'm going to find the fact that it rained on Tuesday. Okay? And the idea is that, in, in theory, that judges are supposed to be blank slates as far as evidence and facts are concerned. They're not, they don't, they're not supposed to read the paper and get their information from there. They're not supposed to watch videos and get information from there. The, the findings of fact found by the court are supposed to derive from evidence found within the courtroom during that trial and from nowhere else. Judicial notice is an exception to that because there are some facts that are so notorious that, that, that wasting time and energy and trying to prove them would like be the silly. Like the sky is blue. Like the sky is blue. Analogy. Judges can take judicial notice of the fact that the sky is blue. Everybody knows the sky is blue. No one's going to contest it seriously. Judicial notice makes sense because it's just uh, the, the, an efficient way to proceed. So now in this case, this yep. is, uh, sorry, that's it's kind yep. of what happened, right? So the yep. judge said, well, you know, we accept that everything is safe and effective and, and therefore we don't need to look at, so the mother had uh, not wanted her daughter to be vaccinated. The daughter did not want to be vaccinated. The father wanted her to be vaccinated. So there was... Interestingly, uh, maybe a victim oppressor <laughs> power struggle in that. <laughs> and then what happens is the uh, the judge makes the decision that, you know what, the sky is blue on COVID. We know all of this is safe and effective. So we don't care what evidence you've brought Correct. that shows that maybe it's not safe and effective. That's right. And uh, we don't care what you want, mother, and we don't care what you want, girl. Um, the father is right, but he's only right because the sky is blue on COVID and vaccines and all of that jazz. That's right. That's right. That's right. So you, you, have, a, you have a court and not the only court by any means, right? The, a court basically accepting at face value the official narrative on COVID in both those respects. Number one, it's, 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 uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a danger to everybody. And by the way, if you look at the evidence, the danger to young kids is the danger of of vaccines uh, is is far greater the risk you know one could argue that given the evidence from the governmental data okay let's just put that out there well, that let's just put it this way let's put it this, just, just to be fair i mean i'm not a, i'm not a doctor right i've read lots of stuff so i have opinions about these things yeah, but i'm not here. a doctor so let's just say this just to be strictly correct yeah these facts are in dispute Yes. There is at least evidence. Yes. Number one, that that adults and children below a certain age are 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 susceptible to the virus to a very small degree, and what that degree is is maybe a matter of of, of debate. But there's no question that the risk to children is far far smaller than it is to to old adults. And the second thing that's in dispute is. The, the both the efficacy and the safety of the vaccines. There are differing opinions on that. And we don't need to establish who's right in order to establish that the matter is in dispute. Yeah. Okay? So the problem with a court taking judicial notice of these things is that this is not the really the kind of thing that judicial notice was designed for. Judicial notice was not designed for the very factual questions that are in dispute in the case. And that's what the Saskatchewan court appeared to do, to go around the back door and say, well, let's not worry about the evidence. Right. Let's just reach this conclusion because after all, this is what I think is true. Right. And so then you also have this situation where basically the, the court has decided for the girl, you know, um, what's right for her. But then we have other situations where you have... Um, vaccine clinics popping up where 12 to 16 year olds can go right. and say, well, I can decide right. it's my choice. And right. they've really um, been hell bent on, on right. showing that this is extremely yes. important that yes. parents don't oppress their children right. by telling them what to do. Like if you're 12 to 16, you're old enough to understand and you can decide if you want to be vaccinated or not. But then they go and they say, well, you know what? 
maybe they might say, well, I don't want to be vaccinated. And I wonder if the outcome would be right. the same. So, here, so, this, so this, here's the double standard, right? So let's just take a step backwards. So uh, in Ontario, like in many provinces, in Ontario, uh, we have the Healthcare Consent Act. And the Healthcare Consent Act establishes the basic rules for when people um, need to give consent and when they're capable of giving consent to medical procedures. Uh, and the Ontario Act does not identify a magic age below which you're not able and above which you are. So everybody's able to give consent to certain things if they can understand the information relevant to making the decision, to assess the risks and benefits and so on, and to understand the consequences of the decision. And moreover, the statute says that people are presumed to have capacity to make that kind of decision. Okay. So you have these clinics popping up in various places like you're referring to. You know, maybe it's near school, maybe it's a city hall, but you're offering school, ice cream or maybe a parking <laughs> lots or some kind of reward or, 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 or the like to kids of a certain age. Now, up until recently, at least in Canada, it's still this case, but the FDA and the states recently approved the vaccine for five to 11 year old kids. But before that, it was approved for 12 and up. So if you had a 12-year-old coming to one of these clinics, the, the, if you were proceeding under the Ontario statute, there'd be a presumption that the 12-year-old was able, had the capacity to consent to a vaccine. Now, of course, done properly, there would you'd expect to be some kind of assessment by the person doing this, the healthcare provider, as to whether or not that the child is actually able to do this, has the capacity to understand the consequences of the decision, understand, able to Full understand the information, consent. to be able to give informed consent on their own behalf. Okay. So here's the double standard that you're alluding to. So it looks like the agenda, as far as these clinics is concerned, is to get the kids, whether they're 12 or 14 or 16, or maybe soon 10 or eight, I mean, who knows? But to get the kids to consent. To consent. To Not to make the choice. To consent, consent. To indicate their consent. Right. To getting the vaccine. And why is that okay? Well, because they're choosing to get the vaccine. Yes. But in the case of the 14-year-old, she didn't want the vaccine. Right. So why weren't her wishes uh, wish, wishes considered considered or well, they were considered but they were rejected right why well because it's not in the best interest of the child and that's often the uh the test to apply when you're when you're in these family law disputes what is the best interest of the child and yes you're supposed to take the child's wishes into account but the court depending upon the statute often has the jurisdiction to make a decision that's in the best interest of the child. So here's what we have in these two situations. In the one, the 14-year-old doesn't want to get vaccinated, but there's an order allowing her to be vaccinated because it's in her best interest. But we go over to the clinic, we got a 12-year-old, well, we're going to comply with her wishes because she's choosing to get vaccinated, because we know that that's the best choice. That's the bottom line. If we the choice know. is in favor of the vaccination, yes. well, then that's right. And if the if the choice is against the vaccination, well, then we have to override so that. So many parallels with uh, the intersectional topic, right? Because it's like, if you give us the right answer, if you belong to the right group and you give us the right answer, then that's perfect. But if you don't fit neatly into the box of what we want you to do, then too bad. Then you're going to be, you know, in some form or another, you're going to suffer. Uh, well, that's correct. That's right, and it 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 is it is. If I can put it this way, there's a pretense that what this is about is not the content of the decision or the content of the ideology. It's not about the content of the ideology. It's about it's about whether you consent or who you are or. Or, or the procedure we're following, or the like. But actually, that's not true. If you, if you look at what happens, it's okay if the, if the, quote, right result is reached. And it's not okay, it's racist, or it's sexist, or it's not in the best interest of the child, yeah. if it's not the result that they want. 
Exactly. Right? Exactly. And and how is it now? Okay, so who has decided that they will be the deciders? That's always the question, right? But this, this is, but as far <laughs> as the law is concerned, this is the question. And people think that sometimes the most important question is, what does the law say? And of course, that's important for sure. What does the law say? But you read the law and you say, oh, there's, 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 there's the rule. I mean, if you get lucky, there's a rule in the statute. Sometimes there's not really a clear, clear rule. But if you get a clear rule, you think that's the rule. And that's the most important thing. Not true. The most important thing is not what, but who. Who, who decides. Who gets to decide what right. that rule means. Right. Who gets to make the call about whether a child of 12 gets a vaccine. Is it the 12-year-old? Is it the mother? Is it the father? Is it the health authority? It's, it's the Children's Aid Society. Is it the court? The, the, the who is the more important question. Right. You show me who gets to make the decision, and then I'll understand what the decision might be. And so there's, we were kind of drawing the analogy to that earlier about what we're seeing in schools, right? In uh, the critical race theory and all of these different things that are coming about. Right. Who gets, who to, gets decide to decide what the curriculum is, right? Exactly. Yes. And what is right for your child? Like, right. What are the parents' rights here? So again, there's those parallels that are being drawn here where Precisely so. the overarching theme is who owns you and who owns your children because right. i don't believe children are property anyways but it seems that the people who are asking that question or who are you know creating these rules think that children are property property of the state and so and so it is their property to mold in a sense yes. into what they want them to be this is all part of critical race theory Crit critical theory itself really yeah. right so part of the part of the way that you that you dismantle a civilization is to capture the minds of the next generation. Right? And we, we talked about a, a, a quote in an earlier interview, the quote, and I, and I wish I knew who, who had said this um, first, but the quote goes, you, you don't replace old ideas with new ideas. You replace people with old ideas with people with new ideas. And the people with new ideas are the kids because yeah. you, have, you have them in the room and you can tell them what you like, you, and you, you, you indoctrinate them. And so at the end of their schooling career, they come out with a particular mind. And if all goes well, if you're one of these people with the agenda, yes. they come out with the mind that says, oh no, all of these truths we take as self-evident. And that's why there's such a fight about the who question in the schools. A lot of people in the schools. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not a case of, of every teacher or even most teachers uh, and not even most officials. But, but there, is a, there is a force inside that institution, in the institution of public schooling, that's found somewhere in the hierarchy, somewhere in the unions, somewhere in the classroom, some people believe that their responsibility is to protect children from the oppression of their parents. And the proposition, therefore, that the parents should be the ones to have the call over what their children learn to, to those, that set of people would be an outrageous proposition. Or what they put in their bodies. Or what they put in their bodies, for that matter. Sure, it's an extension of the same logic. Yes. And so this is where it can get potentially scary um, because now you have these ideas and these substances that are being yes. put into children's bodies and without the consent of the parents. Now, did you know also there was something that happened um, a couple of years ago with Sick Kids Hospital in mm. Toronto mm -hmm. where um, and it ended up get, um, they put an end to the program just because there was so much backlash. But this was not too long, maybe three years ago, okay. where they wanted to allow, uh, again, children to consent to MAID, euthanasia, oh. you know, sick kids. Wow. So without their parents' knowledge or consent. I hadn't heard that. Yes. Wow. And so they basically said that this is, you know, compassionate care. And interestingly enough, this was kind of terminology that was used by the Nazis. Well, just for the sake of the audience, though, tell us what MAID is. I, oh, so right. MAID is medically assisted uh, induced suicide or a, 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 in, assistance in dying. 
assistance in dying. Yes. That's what it is, right? right? So it's basically an, a pleasant sounding uh, process by for which... For ending your life. For ending your life. Right. And um, so, yeah, so this is basically very... Uh, ties in with the same kind of theme where now you have these children who you have to wonder, are they able to make those decisions or not? And and why is the the state, for lack of, of better term, why are they so right. hell-bent on on giving all of this power over to children to get the outcomes that they want. Well, sure. This is exactly the question, right? And and, and these are sick children with disabilities and with right. chronic illnesses and, these are, and diseases. These are kids of an age. And they are kids, right? Let's, let's underline yes. this. These are kids. Teenagers say. These are kids who have curfews. Who, who need to be told, you know, what time to go, what to, bed. Time to, go to bed and what time to be in by. And, and they still have parents who need to watch over them. And the proposition is that they have the wherewithal to decide whether or not they want to die. Because the hospital in this case will look over them, right? That is kind of like, so right. what's happening now with the schools right. and with the vaccination clinics? It's like, well, we'll look over you. Right. And your parents have no place in right. the relationship here between you and I. Right. 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 And so so let's not just let's not put too fine a point on it with respect to with respect to the vaccines. Um, all the signs suggest now that they are after your kids. Right? They've had clinics near High schools are for people of high school age. The FDA has approved the vaccine for five to eleven year olds. The the sounds like Health Canada may be doing the same soon in this country. It's not clear. It's just not clear where the clinics will be or how they'll be done or what kind of consent they will seek from the parents. Just don't know. But there's a lot of noises that make it look like their intent on making sure that people as young as five have been vaccinated. Right. And if you're a parent and you think that it's your role to make that call, then be aware that is maybe not, maybe not the premise upon which the authorities will be proceeding. If you look at just that maid situation, right? And you have... Uh, like we're willing to do this, we're willing to say, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you might find out from us mm. that your your children have decided that they'd like to commit suicide, right? Um, and we're informing you that that's happened. Yeah, what a nightmare that would be. So then, Jeez. so then, you know, what are the limitations there? It just kind of shows you again yeah. um, the cultural. Right. Well, no, but note 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 the two different legal tools that will be used to achieve vaccination of, of kids. We've talked about them. Number one is the idea that even kids can consent on their own behalf if they have capacity. Yes. And number two is the idea that the, 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 the authorities in some circumstances, and the courts for that matter, can assess the best interests of the child for people who do not have capacity. <laughs> So it's a win-win situation. It's a win-win situation, no matter, potentially, right? No, yeah, yes. no matter what, we'll get to that conclusion. So and, like, there's, and there's even a section in the statute wow. yeah. that says that, a, that, a, that a, uh, a healthcare provider who, who accepts the consent, ass assesses somebody as having capacity and accepts consent on that basis, who does so, I think it says, reasonably and in good faith, is not liable if that person, in fact, does not have capacity. Interesting. So, so as long as they do this in a way that makes it look as though they're doing it in they good, good faith. They have good intentions. So good intentions. It's okay. And in accordance with, with mandates from the from the provincial health authorities. And they, you know, they talk to the kid and the kid seems intelligent and sensible and they're able to get the child to say yes. Then, then, then maybe the, the, the possibility is that those providers will not be liable. So let's talk a little bit about, um, I, I forget what the term is though, uh, retributions or something like that. So when, when we're talking about how you have, you know, the American Indians 
who should be receiving all of these uh, special treatments now because of the injustices of the past, because they came to North America, they, uh, these, um, uh, sorry, the, the, the Europeans came to North America, they took their land, they got them drunk, they made them sign an X on a form, which they didn't understand. They didn't actually give proper consent to give away their property or sign away their property. This is how the story goes, right? Mm -hmm. And reparations. Reparations, yes. Uh, Thank you, Brain, for coming back there with that one. I'm like, retributions, reparations. So, So what happened there is that you have the same people who are outraged now over all of that and think reparations need to be made Mm. because these people did not understand what they were signing. Right. And Uh, yes, I see where you're going. Will these, will these people be just as upset? Will the children be offered reparations down the line for having signed something that they didn't understand? Right. And is it also interesting that, did you know that there have been some kind of vaccination campaigns in the north of Quebec and Ontario and up in the Northern Territories where it seems like similar documentation Mm. has been given for this kind of informed consent that hasn't been quite clear. Right. Informed consent, of course, is supposed to be real. I mean, it's not just, it's not just a hoop you're supposed to jump through. You're actually supposed to get the person's first to give them enough information in a situation where they are capable of understanding the information. And then the important part is, and then assessing for themselves, which means that they can come to either choice on their own independently of what the provider would like the answer to be. Yes. Right. And if that's not real, then it's really not informed consent. Yeah. But you're referring to these historical situations where, you know, we, you can make the case that we have failed to actually learn the lesson, like residential schools. Mm-hmm. So in those circumstances where residential schools went wrong, I think the best explanation is that it's never a good idea for authorities to make people do things they don't want to do. Yes. Isn't that interesting? And the kinds of abuses that can happen under government care. Exactly so. Precisely so. Are there any parallels between... <laughs> <laughs> when, so the danger is when, <laughs> when an authority gets it in their head that they know best yes. what's in the best interests of other people. That's exactly what happened with residential schools. Well... And the danger is, the danger is that it might happen now with respect to vaccines. They know, they know, they're sure, but their certainty is no test of the truth. Yes. That's not the way this is supposed to happen. It's supposed to happen that every person makes their own call. And if people are too young to make their own call, then their parents are supposed to make the call. And if that's not happening, then you have another one of these historical tragedies in the making, potentially.